Welcome to episode 313 of Live Happy Now. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and while there's more resources for mental health than ever before, it's still a topic that's often overlooked when it comes to men. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today we're talking with motivational speaker and wellness expert, Quentin Venny, about overcoming the stigma men face when it comes to caring for their mental health. Quentin's best-selling memoir, Strong in the Broken Places, detailed his journey from anxiety, depression, and addiction to his discovery of wellness practices that he now teaches to others. Let's hear what he has to say. Quentin, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, this is such an important topic, and we know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm very happy to talk to you because you've done some incredible things, and we talk about some of those on our landing page on our website. But first of all, to start this conversation, I wanted to know what made you interested in the subject of mental health. I think that's a very intriguing question. Growing up in my community, mental health wasn't something that we talked about. You know, we didn't talk about it as as men. We didn't talk about it in the black community. It was something that we just kind of, we thought that it was just a part of life, right? We we were mm-hmm. taught that, you know, if we ate our greens, that we would grow up big and strong. And we never talked about the implications of mental health. And so for me, you know, growing up, being exposed to severe violence, trauma, poverty, dilapidation, you know, I was dealing with things in a way that was very counter who I truly was. And as a result, you know, I was often placed in a box and was given, you know, a label and was categorized as problematic. What I didn't realize, it, it only after becoming an adult and, and getting an official diagnosis and having the ability to learn what that was, is, you know, I was just coping with mental health issues and I was doing it in a way that I felt would safeguard me from my vulnerability, you know, and, and I was living the ideals of what I thought it meant to be a man, not addressing these kind of issues and these traumas. And so, you know, my interest in dealing with mental health or speaking about it or, you know, even, you know, taking a step further and trying to heal from it was just a result of me being a victim of it. Well, so often men, women do this too, but it's more pronounced in men because men are supposed to be stronger. They're supposed to be able to be tough, don't cry, suck it up, handle it. And so what made you pursue help for it? What made you realize, I got to get help. I can't just keep shoving this down inside of me. Yeah. I mean, I I was diagnosed with severe generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and mild to severe major depressive disorder. I was experiencing these panic episodes that would often leave me sleeping in my car in the emergency room parking lot for months on end. And so I, you know, went the medication route and ended up becoming addicted to prescription pills, you know, survived an accidental overdose, fell into severe bouts of depression, where that culminated into me attempting suicide twice. And it was after the second suicide attempt that, you know, I kind of threw my hands up and I said, God, you win, right? Like, what is it that I am here to do? Because even left to my own vices, I couldn't kill myself correctly. So I'm obviously (laughs) here. I'm here for a reason, right? And so I made it my mission to figure out what that was, you know, and I've always been one that was, you know, counter this idealistic viewpoint of what being a man was. You know, growing up, my father was addicted to heroin. He spent the majority of my childhood in prison or in the streets, 
He never came to a, a baseball game, never he came to a school graduation. You know, I, I, I didn't know what being a good, a real man was, right, outside of what I was, what I'd seen on television or, you know, would see in my environment. And what that portrayed to me, though I used to wear that mask of masculinity, right, and try to portray that image, I knew wholeheartedly that that's not who I was. I was the guy that liked to go get manicures and pedicures. I like mm-hmm. to get massages, right? Like I like to pamper myself and, you know, and feel good as well. I wasn't the guy that was going to go outside and chop the wood and feed and kill the ox. And <laughs> I, I just, I wasn't that guy, right? But being a father of two boys myself, there was nothing more masculine than taking care of my responsibility in a way that I hadn't seen in the men that I knew growing up. Right. And so it was like if they weren't living up to an expectation or a lifestyle that I respected, then I didn't want to become that type of a man. And I had to just redefine what being a man and what masculinity meant for myself and for my children. And how difficult was that journey? Because I'm not saying there's no role models, but there are a few. So it's again, it's I feel like for women, it's easier to find someone whose journey we can follow and emulate and say, this is what they did. Now, you've become that guy for others, but how did you find that path? I mean, I think for me, you know, I always heard the the term, you got to see a man to be a man, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and I knew that I didn't want to be the father that I had. Now, granted, my father and I have a great relationship now. He's been sober, you know, 15, 20 years. You know, we have an amazing dynamic. But I knew I didn't want to be him. And I knew I didn't want to be the men that I was seeing on a day-to-day basis. And so one of the things that I used to, you know, just kind of get lost in was television. You know, I loved Full House. I loved The Fresh Prince. I loved The Cosby Show. I loved Step by Step, right? I I loved these shows because it, it allowed me to escape my reality while also thinking that although this was fantasy land, I had the ability to create this for myself. And even though this was fan, this was entertainment, it was television, right? Like even jokes are, are, are based in truth. And so though I've never seen this in my real life and though none of my friends had this, the idea had to come from somewhere. Somewhere in the world, somebody lived like this in some capacity. Why was I void of that? And how could I create that for myself when I was able to actually grow up, get older, and, and create a family? That's a remarkable way of thinking. And and because of that, you've gone on to help others. And so what made you have that desire to also pay it forward? Because it, you didn't say, all right, I got this figured out. I'm okay. This is how I'm going to live. You have made it your mission to bring others along on that that healing path to wellness. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting because I've always been a giver, right? Like I've always been a giver. I've, I'm a selfless. I pride myself on being selfless because I, I firmly believe that it is not our responsibility on this earth to be selfish, right? This life that we live is not our own and our own completely. Like it is ours to be shared. And I feel like a shared experience to be a saved life. And so the caveat to that is, you know, I've always been a very private kind of reclusive individual. And so it started when I was writing articles about how to get lose weight and how to get healthy and get fit. 
And one of the editors from the site that I was writing for challenged me to tell more. She said, you know, I think that you are hiding something and I think that you have more to say. And after a bit of back and forth, you know, she had written down a list of questions she wanted me to answer and answer them honestly. And she said, hey, listen, just trust me on this one. And I did, you know, and that wasn't something that came easy to me, right? It was trust. And so I, I answered these questions. She took the article that I was working on. She reconfigured it, edited it, made it beautiful and put it out <laughs> into the world. And the, the minute she did that, not only did that article go viral, but it also showed me that there were thousands of people who were dealing with the same thing that I was and the same life that I didn't find value in because I shared it. Other people wouldn't give up on themselves. Other people found inspiration to keep fighting and keep going. And so I made it my mission from that moment forward that if I can just inspire or motivate somebody to not give up, to not quit, right, to keep pushing, to keep fighting, to stay faithful, to stay on their path, if I can create, help one person do that every day, then the life that I live and the work that I do was not in vain. That's, I love that outlook. And I'm sure that that also helps on days when you're not feeling 100%. Absolutely. You know, even we, we hit a certain level in our lives and it's like, yes, this is where we live and how we live, but we have down days despite that. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that you are doing good and that others are depending on you, I think that does that help lift you up? It does. You know, it, it is definitely that 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 motivating fuel to keep pushing, to keep going, you know, because I, I, I do realize that not only just people in out in the world are relying on me, but my family is relying on me. My family is, you know, they're they need me to show up as my best self. You know, and I firmly believe that I can't bless my family or anyone else from an empty well. I can only bless them from my overflow. And so even on those bad days, I know that I still need to get up and I still need to do the things, even if the I can only do the most basic thing for the day, understanding that I'm okay with that and that as long as it fills my well, then it will ultimately lead to me doing good for somebody else. Yeah. And you, based on that, you know, playing off that, you created the Trinity of Wellness. So yes. can you tell us, I think this is super interesting. Can you explain to us what that is and then how you came up with it? It's interesting because I don't feel like I created the Trinity of Wellness. I feel like my Trinity of Wellness found me. Okay. <laughs> right? It's like it was during my, um, my recovery from prescription drug addiction. One of the first things I started doing was researching anxiety and mental health and depression and addiction and, you know, trying to find people who had found alternative, more holistic ways to deal with this. And at the time, I couldn't find many. And so, you know, I was watching documentaries, Food Incorporated and, you know, Forks Over Knives and just understanding the, the full scope of, you know, and the importance of what it was that we were putting into our bodies and how they were impacting every area of our lives. And then I started, I watched Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead with Joe oh, Cross. Yeah. You know, I watched Crazy Sexy Cancer with Chris Carr. And I started seeing these individuals actually changing their lives purely by changing their diet, right? Like changing their diet, then change their mindset. And though Chris Carr was dealing with stage four cancer and Joe Cross was dealing with autoimmune disease and obesity, I was dealing with something that wasn't physical. But I understood because of my own research, I understood the dynamic connection between the two. Right. And that 
one can't exist without the other. And so I tried it, you know, and the first thing I did was juice. I tried making juice. And I remember I was like Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. I would have, (laughs) you know, like six, seven different glasses with like two, three ounces of like apple juice here and kale this and celery here and cucumber there. And I was like mixing them in like one big container, like an experiment. And it was awful. It was disgusting. I was like, how does anybody drink this? And how can they do this to themselves? This is horrible. But then I started doing more research and, and, and learn how to juice. And so juicing became, you know, this modality that I looked to. It helped me stop smoking cigarettes because I was smoking cigarettes at the same time that I was trying to heal from, you know, prescription drug addiction. And like I would wake up in the morning and drink a juice and it would I wouldn't want to take a pill and I wouldn't want to smoke a cigarette. I wouldn't you know, want to drink alcohol that evening. And while I was online and I was researching more juice recipes, I came across a video by a woman by the name of Tara Stiles. And one of the things that she had said in the video was, I got this juicer from my friend Chris Carr. And I was like. Chris Carr, that's crazy, sexy cancer. Like, that's my muse. Like, I'm, I follow what she's doing. I went vegan. I started, you know, the whole thing. And so I was like, okay, well, if Chris Carr is your friend, and I think Chris Carr is awesome, you must be awesome too. So let me figure out who you are and what you do. And I found out that she was a yoga teacher. And she taught us a, a, a brand of yoga called Strala that she had created that took a lot of the, the Sanskrit and the, the ohms and all of these things that, that she took it out of it. You know, it took the and it, it made it very accessible. You know, she would say high lunge, low lunge, come into your push up position, you know, things like up dog and just regular terminology that I could readily identify with. And so before I know it, I was practicing in my living room with her, you know, in my carpet. And and so then I branched out from the the carpet in the living room into an actual <laughs> yoga studio here in Baltimore City. At the time, it was called Charm City Yoga. It's now owned by Yoga Works. And I took my first yoga class. And in that yoga class, I learned Shavasana, corpse pose. And this was the first time that I was like, I laid on my back and just focused on my breathing. Not because I was told to, but because my body naturally needed that. And that was the most euphoric feeling that I ever experienced in my life. And so I was like, I need to figure out what this Shavasana thing is and how can I experience this without going through an hour and 15 minutes of twisting my body into a pretzel. (laughs) And so I started learning that Shavasana was, it was like meditation and that I could, if I just gave myself time and space and focused on my breathing and found a comfortable space that I could experience this euphoric feeling, if I wanted to get physical and be in my body, I could do this thing that I found out was called yoga, right? And then if I wanted to feel good first thing in the morning, I could just drink my juice. And before I knew it, this became the three modalities that were non-negotiables for me. I drank my juice, I did an asana practice, and I meditated every single day. And within a year and a half, I was no longer on prescription drugs. I was no longer taking pills. I was no longer having anxiety attacks. I was no longer having panic attacks. I slept great. Things started moving and shifting in my life. I was telling more. I was writing more and, and, and being more clear in my, in my intentions. Everything started to change in my life. And so that grew to become my trinity of wellness. That is incredible because I'm thinking I have many family members, male family members, who if I said, I think you need to juice, do yoga, and meditate, they would punch me in the face. <laughs> they would look at you like, I'm never talking to you again. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So how does one introduce that to someone who might not be receptive to it? Because I can see how important this is. And it's so it's done such a remarkable job with you. So how do you get your significant other to understand like this could help? I think having the ability to share stories of other men that have gone through something similar and found these these modalities to work. The other thing of it, right, it's like, you know, for, for a lot of men who are married, we all realize and understand that our wives run the household. Like we, <laughs> we think we run things, like we think that we're in control, but we do what our wives want us to do because the one thing we don't want is to upset our wives because then our lives are miserable. Right. Yeah, we joke about happy wife, happy life, but it's true. It's a real thing. It is a real (laughs) thing, right? And so I think sometimes we have to get to a point where we stop giving the people we love options. You don't have the option to tell me that you're not going to do this. I'm going to book a yoga class. I'm going to pay for it. We're going to go together because this is what I want to do to spend time with my husband. I like it. I like that's a great way to do it. You know, everything that you're doing, it's talking about mental health is becoming more common, but it is still, it's particularly difficult for men. So how do we as a society, as a support system, start overcoming that stigma for men associated with mental health, personal wellness? I think the first thing is to identify that having a mental health disorder, struggling with a mental health challenge, whether it's acute or chronic, it doesn't equate to weakness. You know, especially for men, so long we've been conditioned to believe that vulnerability meant weakness. And that, you know, if we showed ourselves to be vulnerable, then our enemies would use it against us and they would come in and they would take our wives and take our daughters. We don't live in the Greek mythology days anymore. (laughs) We don't have to brandish the sword and go to war in the middle of the dirt. Like we don't have to do any of those things, right? Like we live in a very structured cultural based society where these resources are readily available. We don't have to continue to adopt the same mentality and the same belief system that has worked against us for generations. Men are dying at younger ages more than ever before, right? Because they don't have the, they they, they haven't adopted a new way of thinking and believing what a man should be, what vulnerability looks like, that they don't have to grin and bear it and bite the bullet and do all of these cliched phrases, right? Because that's what a man is supposed to do. Because before you are a man, you are a human, Mm -hmm. right? And regardless of what your genitalia entails and regardless of how you identify, the one commonality that we all have on this planet is our humanity. And nowhere in the rule book of humanity does it state that having an issue equates into being a weak person. It takes a very strong individual to be deliberate about their healing, to be honest enough to accept vulnerability. That is strength. There's no weakness in being honest. We're lying to ourselves if we believe that we have the ability to just grin and bear it. But then we sit back and question why our marriages are failing and why our relationships have faltered and why we don't feel inspired and motivated to do X, Y, Z the way we should, the way we think we should. We're lying to ourselves if we believe that we don't deserve the right to be human. And within that also gives us the right to heal. 
And when you do heal, as you had mentioned earlier, you bring your best self. You become 100%. a stronger man. You become more powerful, more pleasant. All these things that, that men want to be, you become. 100%. I, I, I became my best self because I decided that I needed to do the work on me so that I could be the best version for my wife and my children. I didn't, get, I didn't care what my, what my buddies thought about it. I didn't care what society thought about it, right? Like, I couldn't care about that. Because me living in, in the wake of what society's expectations were for me would have left me dead or in prison by age 21. Absolutely. You know, and so I can't care about what happens outside of the confines of my home. I have to take care of and protect and safeguard what exists inside of it. And if that means being vulnerable, if that means, be, you know, tapping into this, the feminine side of myself, tapping into this emotional, you know, side, being more understanding and talking to my daughters differently and having conversations with my children, my sons differently. If that's what that means, so that when they step out into the world, they have a better understanding of who they are. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to take. And you're changing the world for the future because you're raising sons with a completely different attitude than you were raised with and that you were exposed to. And then they'll go out and, and share that with others. A hundred percent. And I think it's the, it is the role of every parent to push their children to become a better version of them. The things that I fight for on a day-to-day -day basis, racial equity, gender equality, all of these things that I am active about, food insecurity, food education, I probably will never see in my generation. But it is my hope that by the time my grandchildren are born, that they get a glimpse of it. Mm -hmm. Starts now. At 100%. 100%. So where do people start? So someone's listening to this, male or female, and it's like, okay, that's, that's what I need to do. I need that in my life. I need to be able to deal with my anxiety, my depression, whatever it is. Where do they start? Because that can be the hardest part is finding the right place to to begin that journey. Yeah, it's something that I learned, and I never went to AA or went to rehab or anything, but I've learned this in my own research. They say the first step to recovery is admitting that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is, self, is, is, is really a self-analysis. It's really sitting back and allowing yourself to be honest with yourself and let it put your ego away. Ego is the greatest thief of our humanity. It is the greatest thief of who we have the potential and capabilities to be. We, re we rely on our ego so much, not realizing that our ego plays against us. Our ego is not for our benefit. Our ego is not for our betterment. Not in all situations, but the majority of them, right? And so I think the first thing to do it's give yourself time and space to just be honest. Be okay with being wrong. Be okay with not knowing. Be okay with all of the things about yourself that you've tried to hide that you might not like about yourself. Be okay with the criticisms and the critiques that you've received in your life from the people that you actually care about, right? Don't care about the opinions of others that you don't, that, that don't care about you, right? But if your wife has told you, listen, you know, when you drink, you have a tendency to get violent. Take that into consideration, mm -hmm. right? When, you're, when, you're, when your child is saying to you, listen, the way you talk to me makes me feel like, you know, my feelings don't matter. Take that into consideration. 
right? Take yeah. those things into, into careful consideration and just acknowledge and admit that there's a problem. Once you've identified what the problem is, it's a lot easier to find the resources to help you deal with it. But if your issue was anger, right, and you are willing to acknowledge that you have depression, but not anger, then you'll never find remedy for the anger. That's terrific. Well, you have so much that we can learn from you. And I, on our landing page, we're going to tell people how they can find your website, how can they, they can find your book, how they can follow you. But thank you for the conversations that you're having, not just with me, but with with the public to really help turn this boat and and let us realize how to help men and mental health. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be in conversation and community with you with your listeners and to continue to have the conversation. Thank you for your willingness and wantingness to, to have this dialogue. Yeah. Well, we'll keep following you. We'll keep, keep tabs on you and hopefully talk again. <laughs> I look forward to it. This is something that we can talk about for a really long time. Yes. I couldn't agree more. That was motivational speaker and wellness expert, Quentin Benny. If you'd like to learn more about Quentin, follow him on social media or learn more about his Trinity of Wellness and other practices, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.